This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! So the previous episode of Bunny Girl Senpai ended with the discovery of Mai and Sakata's relationship causing a stir in the media world, and this episode immediately begins with a press conference which has turned its focus to this development. We had a week to wonder what kind of impact it would have. It was natural to assume the worst, especially after they agreed to a dating moratorium when her agent found out about Sakata. Surely the news breaking wider would require a more drastic reaction, right? Instead, it seems their agent was being overly cautious. Even Mai comments that it didn't turn into as big an ordeal as she thought it would. It certainly didn't cause a new barrier between them, like I feared last time. It does affect the course of this episode, though not in the way we might have guessed. What it mainly does instead is characterize Mai, as her navigating that press conference like a champ is probably the main reason the situation didn't get out of hand. She's even humble about it, giving all the credit to the director's face-saving quip about it helping their marketing. While it does set the tone about whether or not there was actually any loss of face for Mai, her own blushing innocence about discussing her first love is disarming in its own right. She apologizes for making the story about her instead of about the movie they are actually there to promote, apologizing not just to the audience or fans, but to her co-stars. She first owns the consequences with sobering sincerity, and so the director lightening things up with a little quip helps ground the mood of the place. She is genuine in her reaction to the questions, and I think the decision to share the fact that Sakata was the catalyst to her returning to show business was a wise move. If you are a fan of hers, and this boy made it so that you get to see more of her, well, how mad at that situation can you be? When she then forgives the invasion of her own privacy, but asks them to respect his privacy, the conversation becomes neither Mai throwing herself on the mercy of the court of public opinion, nor her striking back against the attention. Rather, she accepts the scrutiny of her own life, and asks a favor of the public to minimize their scrutiny of her boyfriend's life. Who could deny such an earnest girl? Not only does it underscore her professionalism, it reinforces her dedication to Sakata in a very public space. In a way, she is getting to go through what he did when he shouted his confession in front of the whole school. Thus, one of the results of the paparazzi photo is not to drive the two of them apart, but actually to drive them closer together. The very conversation where they discuss the press conference eventually gets to a nah -uh, I love you more type of exchange. It's possible this is a compensation for the uncertainty they have probably felt during the whole ordeal, um, but I take Mai at her word when she says that she's probably more in love with him than he thinks. She has trouble talking straight like that most of the time, and won't really even debate him when he counters. I suspect that somewhere in the last few days, she has had to ask herself what Sakata means to her 
compared to the potential trouble she might be causing for her career. And the result of that decision is plain in her answers during the press conference. Thus, she is probably especially certain of her heart right now. The episode ends up being full of wholesome moments of the two of them reaffirming their feelings, even while there are little things cropping up that may be stressors in the future. Now, one of the narrative results of the photo is that it helps motivate Kaede to also do her best for her brother. Her quest to become comfortable going outside becomes the main focus of the episode. As Mai is not actually driven away from Sakata, but towards him, she becomes a large part of this effort to help Kaede. We've noted before that she has taken steps meant to help Kaede eventually return to the outside world, and as she becomes more invested in Sakata, there is an accompanying investment in Kaede. I'm sure there is also some gratitude for Sakata's role in bringing her and Nodoka closer together. She probably has an even greater understanding of what it's like to have a close relationship to a younger sister now, and one that is your roommate to boot. Since the prohibition against seeing each other in private is apparently over, Mai comes over to cook dinner for the two of them. The effort Mai has put in to foster a relationship with Kaede pays off when the subject of her answering the phone in the future comes up. Kaede is comfortable enough with Mai to share her list of goals, as well as why she is so motivated right now. Even though Kaede is a bit of a brocon still, both his relationship with Mai and the other girls who have come over have slowly made Kaede face that eventually Sakata will want to marry and live without her. She can't go on like this without eventually causing problems for her brother, and because she loves him, she doesn't want to do that. Mai encourages her desire for independence, and further suggests they go ahead and practice her answering the phone right now. This is one of the things that really shows off Mai and Sakata's character. Both of them take Kaede's enthusiasm seriously. They give a lot of gravity to her plans, despite how low stakes they might sound out of context. They don't just humor her, but they accept her unspoken invitation to assist her on her quest. Mai will call her again on a different day to help her practice, and Kaede actually tells her first about completing her plan to step outside. Mai then also hits a complete home run with the magazine shoot outfits. It's more than just encouraging her to dress more maturely or more feminine to help her think of herself that way. Giving Kaede a variety of things to get excited about wearing also gives her new motivation each day for a chance to wear each new outfit. It's an extra impetus to want to step outside and to continue to do so. This is the same thought process that Sakata had when he suggested that she add additional goals, like going to see the pandas. This is ultimately just a shining example of their earnestness and how it enables them to recognize when Kaede is being earnest as well. I've talked about Sakata's earnest nature before. In the fifth episode segment, I mentioned how earnest people are both really easy to mock and really easy to admire. Despite Sakata's relentless teasing of people like Mai and Tomoe and Futaba, all of them still hold a lot of affection toward him. When it comes time to speak hard truths to them, the impact comes not just from his words, but from the weight of the genuine belief that underpins them. Knowing that he truly is on their team and wants the best outcome for them makes otherwise bitter pills easier to swallow. This is on full display in the scene where Kaede first goes outside. 
Sakada is sure to give her an out when it looks like she might be stuck after recharging her power, encouraging her about the success she had in getting fully dressed, rather than putting focus on her failure to actually complete the task. But after her confession about fearing not changing more than she fears stepping outside, it seems he's willing even to trick her a little bit to push her over the edge. I think her speech about the fear of going on like this forever uh, has also affected Sakata, because even though he knows it's not ideal, he probably is also used to the status quo between he and his sister. When she is overcome with happiness at having crossed the threshold, he gets teary-eyed as well. The show frequently has moments of Sakata displaying genuine emotion outside of high drama scenes, and it's one of the ways his sincerity is communicated to the audience as well. Once Kaede has gotten past the mental block of stepping outside, her progress is steady. You could argue that answering the phone when Mai called from the other room was the first domino as well, um, as it was taking a concrete action rather than just ideating the actions. Either way, it leads to her taking the big step of going to the beach, and she is supported by Mai and Notoka coming along as well. It's a big success that mostly goes well, but it leads to her running into someone from her past. She doesn't remember this classmate, and this sets up the cliffhanger reveal. Kaede has no memories. This is actually another scene that is set up by the paparazzi photo. This girl, Kano, saw Sakata in the news because of his relationship with Mai, which not only reminds her of how she regretted her lack of aid to Kaede in the past, it lets her find Sakata by knowing which high school he attends. Because of their conversation earlier, we know that this girl was close to Kaede and friendly toward her. They weren't strangers at all. So when Kaede doesn't know her, it's clearly more than just a case of losing track of old classmates. Kano also gives Sakata information about what happened to the girls who bullied Kaede, which may be important later, and that information came from the publication of the photo as well. She also confirms the story for us in at least some broad ways, um, as before now, we've only ever had Sakata's version of events. Now, Kaede's amnesia is not just a surprise to the audience, but to Mai as well. Futaba sets us up earlier by asking whether Sakata had talked about that thing with Kaede to her. This becomes a minor pattern in the episode as well, um, but we'll come back to that. First, let's discuss this lack of memories. We don't have a lot of parameters for this yet, so it's probably unwise to speculate too broadly. Um, she's forgotten her middle school classmates, but she has never shown any instance of forgetting Mai or Shoko or the cats, or anything that suggests the memory loss is an ongoing thing. Therefore, it's a good bet that her memory loss includes the trauma of her adolescent syndrome and the events on either side of it, and possibly everything before that as well. Her fear of going outside or dealing with phones may have a root in her subconscious that she doesn't actually have any memories to connect to. A lot of the way Kaede behaves may originate in having no understanding of how she got into her current situation. Maybe she doesn't remember moving away. Maybe she doesn't remember living anywhere besides that apartment. Maybe she doesn't even remember her parents. Sakata might be the only person in the world she even knew at all, and their home the only space she can remember being in. A lot of her childlike behavior may stem directly from her starting over with very little knowledge or understanding about the world around her. Certainly it helps explain her desperate attachment to Sakata. If so, 
Mai being a stranger that she comes to feel safe around might be the actual first event in the entire progression for Kaide. The very first person aside from Sakato that she feels safe around. Remember, Kaide moved immediately to first name basis with her back when Mai gave her that initial outfit. Kaide losing her memory also gives us a more substantial event to try to explain how their mother took things so poorly. Sakata also got that injury and went to the hospital sometime during this whole affair, so it appears there was a calamitous series of misfortunes rather than just the extreme reaction that Kaide had to being bullied. I am guessing there is more to what happened than might be contained just within Kaide's arc. We don't even get a better hint as to why that first instance of answering the phone caused her to feel faint, or to bruise on the neck, as nothing like that seemed to happen again this episode, even though she took arguably larger steps. Even wilting under the lukewarm glances of strangers when they go to the beach doesn't affect her the way that phone call did. The other thing we only get a little bit of information about is the new developments with Shoko. The letter does not lead to an encounter with Shoko the Elder, though we'll have to wait and see if it's because Mai was there in his place at first. Shoko the Younger doesn't appear to know anything about the letter, but she also didn't return his phone call for a whole day. What's more, she has not come over lately because of feeling unwell. Is it possible that she swaps back and forth between Shoko-chan and Shoko-san, but retains no memory of this? just believing herself to be under the weather during the periods where she loses track of time, or she has blank spots in her memory. I mean, I don't think she sounded cagey in her ignorance over the letter, or about not recognizing Sakata the time they met in the rain, or when asked if she had an older sister. I feel we would have had a tell of some variety if she knew but was hiding it. I also suspect that the paparazzi photo had a narrative impact on this part of the story as well. Doesn't it seem possible that just as Kano found Sakata because of the news coverage, that Shoko the Elder might have done the same? The timing works out, and if there really was something between Shoko and Sakata in the past, then news that is basically about his famous girlfriend seems like it could prompt a dialogue. No matter the exact situation, there is some gravity to this potential reunion. Sakata even has a dream of her that leaves him emotional and he has that initial hesitation about sharing the letter with Mai. Both of these suggest some still lingering feelings. It doesn't necessarily mean that he still loves Shoko and Mai is just a rebound or a distraction. Rather, his initial description of his time with Shoko suggests that he was expecting to see her at that high school and asked around about her and never came up with anything. In other words, he got no closure for that part of his life. Even Mai says that she doesn't want him to keep having some weird remorse about her, which, together with her own curiosity, keeps him from being in hot water. It's a deception, but an understandable one considering the weirdness of the situation. Of course, it's not the only deception, but forms a minor pattern like I mentioned earlier. He has never shared Kaede's amnesia with Mai in spite of how close she is to the two of them. There actually is a moment where he almost does so back in episode 1. Kaide doesn't recognize the famous Sakuraja Mamai, and Sakata says that's because dot 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 she doesn't watch much TV. But that doesn't seem to be true. Remember, the whole reason we knew at first that time was looping in the Tomoe arc was because Kaide was watching the morning news. No, 
It actually seems that Mai has been on hiatus during the entire time that Kaede can remember. The ellipses in Sakata's answer was him deciding against telling her the truth. Now, considering how he struggles to come clean about the letter, I could see how not knowing how to bring up the memory loss turns into the situation where there is never a good time, and the longer it goes on, the worse it gets that he hasn't brought it up. Yet still, I cannot imagine that Mai brushes this off as though it's nothing. It's an enormous thing to hide, and she has proven to be really invested in Kaede's well-being. If it was me, I think I would be a little hurt. Thus, it may prove that Mai and Sakata will have friction between them, not from some external source, like public pressure, but from an internal source. Sakata's uncertainty and the revelation that the trust between them is imperfect. I much prefer an internal relationship conflict to an external one, myself, um, as it provides opportunity for character growth. If you can't tell yet from the kind of shows I tend to favor, I am all about character-driven stories. Now, it may be that no rift develops from this, um, but there is a scene earlier where Sakata again tries to go for the kiss and gets shut down. This suggests to me that our writers are saving a future kiss for a moment of climax or resolution. The meaning behind such a thing could signal an end to a rift that develops in the interim. But that may not happen at all, because I don't think it's an accident that we have this episode full of them strengthening their bonds at the same time that Shoko is coming back onto the scene. I don't know what future arcs will hold, but there may come a time when we see Shoko and Sakata's story in full, and the question arises of why didn't they become a couple in their own right? Certainly he was carrying the flame for her a while there. If she re-enters the picture, the same question might come up. Why not choose Shoko? I feel like his choice of message to leave her on the beach already suggests that he thinks this subject might arise. In that case, a more complete and satisfying answer is not him rejecting a relationship with her, but us being shown his strong relationship with Mai. It's an answer even before there is a question. I can't believe I'm going to do this again, but this might be yet another parallel to Monogatari. In the first season, Bakemonogatari, the twelfth episode is almost entirely a confirmation of the relationship between the main character and his girl, ending with the incredible stargazing scene. However, it is actually counted as part of the Tsubasa cat arc. That episode belongs to another girl's arc. Why? Well, that arc, which actually comes afterward, centers around why the main character didn't choose that girl instead. There was definitely attraction and apparent compatibility, and she was even first on the scene. The answer ends up lying in that twelfth episode. What he has with the other girl is simply that special. As good as the first girl is, as good as they could be, they wouldn't be better. But rather than simply spelling that out for us, the show demonstrates the truth of it by focusing on how the existing couple interacts. If future events in Bunny Girl Senpai end up revolving around the unfinished business between Shoko and Sakata, then demonstrating how strong he and Mai are becomes part of that conversation. Alright, end of parallel, which may not even be a parallel, we will find out. There is obviously more that Sakata has kept from Mai, some unresolved feelings between him and Shoko the Elder, 
and somehow Kaede's whole ordeal is caught in the middle. I suspect we will not lack for complexity in our final two episodes. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash nearlyonred. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.